Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. All right, we're back here. This is the Investor Coaching Show. I'm Paul Winkler. He's Chad Henson. So uh, other things that you think of when somebody sits down and says, you know, I've got, uh, got children, I've got a child that's uh, special needs. What, what do you want to know? I want to know everything. I want to know. <laughs> I actually, you know, I want to know what the child's like. You know, and this is part of the, you know, setting things up and you know talking about being responsible with money one of the things that we find quite frequently with uh with children or adults with special needs are that they are they have very big hearts very giving very loving um and so unfortunately that makes them a target you know oh you know so that to be abused that that is such that is such a good point yeah you know because other people may pick up on their generosity and take advantage of that yeah. generosity. I actually was speaking to a group of adults with disabilities uh, at a workshop that uh, at their workplace and was mentioning that and I asked them if any, any of them had experienced that. And almost all of them had had some experience with other people asking them for money. So, yeah, and I, and I think about boundary type of things, boundary type of conversations where teaching the kids how to do that. And, you know, matter of fact, that is not, that's not a bad topic for you uh, out there, folks. You, anybody, anybody, if you have, I, I remember talking to, uh, I, was, I was talking to this, this one lady, uh, therapist that actually, uh, she trains on that particular issue. And she had a really fascinating thing that she said regarding those types of things. When your boundaries, and you might have financial boundaries, people try to overstep that. And you're looking at a child whose boundaries get overstepped all the time. They may need the tools of learning the idea of how to say no to somebody and say, hey, you know, I'm not okay supporting you in that way. I can't really do it in that way. You know, it reminds me of, it reminds me of the Bible story uh, where, you know, the apostles are going in and the guy's begging for money. He says, well, we can't give you money, but what we can give you is this. And, and it's, right, it's yeah. really, it, and that was a perfect boundary story come to think of it now. I never, I never really thought about that until just now, but basically say, I can't support you this way, but this is how I can support you. And this is something, what, or what else can I do for you? Mm-hmm. And that's, something that those kids need to be able to learn is that, and there are lots of books on it, as a matter of fact, so sure. lots of really, really good uh, work yeah. materials on that. And I think, it, you know, a lot of it boils down to what their capabilities, you know, are, mm-hmm. you know, are they, you know, what their functioning level is, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. whether they're able to discern that and make that attempt or if it's not possible. Now, the group that I was speaking to, you know, I said almost every one of them had had someone ask for money. Almost every one of them had denied someone money too. Really? You know, now, maybe not the first time, but after a couple of things, they saw, you know, hey, something's not right here. You uh-huh. know, and so it, it, a lot of it has to do with, you know, what your, I guess, comprehension level is, you know, how you're able to, to discern that. 
Because um, I had just been thinking about tools to help them, just things to give them to say, here's what you say when somebody does that. Right. You know, so mm -hmm. learning that. Uh, and I think that's another that's another reason that in some cases when you drop the trust, they can only pull money out of the trust for certain things. And it's not for somebody else's benefit. You know, that is it's only right. for their benefit. Yeah. And that's part of it. You know, if you if you take money out of the trust for someone else, then you can disqualify the trust if it's a special needs trust. But basically mm -hmm. anything that. Yeah. So that's a pretty the, good impetus to make sure you get this right. Yeah. Everything has to be, you know, for the for the benefit benefit of the beneficiary now it doesn't have to be you know it's only clothes and socks and shoes and this you know i mean it can be you know vacations mm. it can be you know uh, going to a spa as long as it's benefiting mm -hmm. the the beneficiary but you can't say okay I'm going to send my caretaker on vacation to a spa for a week. And, you know, you talked about making sure that it doesn't disqualify the trust. So remember, their benefits from other places are dependent upon that trust staying intact. You know, so they could stand to lose a lot. Yeah. So therefore, making sure that the trustee is trustworthy and knows their kind of knows the the rules that's and, exactly and, and where making, i was going because the okay. the impetus lies on the trustee to make sure that it's carried out correctly and that's why it's really good to have somebody that is you know like somebody like yourself that actually is walking side by side with this person to make sure that they have somebody to turn to yeah you know just in an advisory role regarding yeah. that and if there's a sibling, you'll frequently see that the sibling will be the trustee because they're they're just every mm -hmm. case that I've run into, there is a super strong bond between siblings and their sibling that has a disability. You know, mm -hmm. it's you think there's a strong bond between typical people and their you know their siblings, but you know they argue and they fight, but you don't really see that. You see, mm -hmm. I mean, it's almost like the sibling takes on the protector role. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that's super cool. Yeah. Especially, I suppose, well, you know, if they grew up together and, yeah. you know, they, they were tight, they were close in age, I would, well, even if they're not close in age, I guess, but I think in close in age, they really were together that whole time. Sure. I can see yeah. that being the case. Yeah. Now, the other thing that I think about regards your role is, you know, when you're talking about the person that is the trustee, recognizing that they have a fiduciary responsibility, you know, doing what is in the best interest. Not that they need to be told that they have that, but recognizing that there is that fiduciary responsibility. So I think it's really important to make sure that the person that is going to play the role of trustee is going to be educated regarding, and I'm big on, you know, the academic research on investing. You hear me say that a million times. What is that? Uh, you know, there is a tremendous amount of research that is not driven by the sales process. You know, how markets work, where returns come from, how do you control risk in the investment portfolio? What is the market, which is an efficient frontier? How do you maximize expected return for a given level of risk? Uh, how do you measure the risk of the portfolio? Uh, what are the warning signs that there may be gambling going on in the portfolio? The three big warning signs, as I always call it. But making sure that they understand what those rules are and that they're abiding by them because that's part of the law and you don't want to put the beneficiary of the trust in a precarious situation just because you didn't know 
how markets work. Sure. You, you read too many mutual fund company brochures or, yeah, <laughs> or they, saw I mean, too many the whole, the whole warm thing, and fuzzy commercials on TV. It's exactly what you're saying. You know, you just have to um, to educate the trustee as well. And uh, I think time horizon is a very key component you know, as well, you know, mm -hmm. because you think of, you know, well, this trust is for, you know, my brother or my sister that has special needs and they need this money. And you may tend to have the thought that you have to be overly cautious with the money. The fact is they're well, not going to spend point. all of that money today. That That is a, a phenomenal point. So when what he's talking about regarding time horizon in general, there are five basic time horizons I like to teach. If the money might be needed all within one year to two years, I could go two years on this. You you would be you'd be taking a lot of risk to jump into stocks in that particular time horizon. If I were going to spend all the money in that period of time, so a lot of times you're looking at fixed income investments, money markets, savings accounts, CDs, maybe uh, you know just fixed type of things where you can pull the money out. Watch out for bonds because you can end up with bonds with long durations and they can drop in value in that period of time if interest rates go up. So it's we're really talking super super conservative treasury bills, those types of things. No structured CDs. No structured CDs. <laughs> thank you. Yes. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I can't believe people are being sold that so much right now. I had a client come in that had structured CDs, and they said, "How does the CD go down in value?" <laughs> yeah, brokered CDs too. Yeah, I mean, you look at that and you go, "Hey, wait a minute! This is this is CD in it. You yeah. know, that doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means all the time. So right. you better be really, really." Cautious, structured notes and those types of things. Back to time horizon. Yeah, so back to time horizon. <laughs> Thank you. So, you know, if I have a one to three year time horizon, I might need to pull all this money out. You know, it, this really depends on what's going on, you know, in the marketplace, uh, which, you know, sounds weird coming from me. But I may use this asset mix. I might not. I might still hold cash depending on what the interest rate structures are out there. But you might have somewhere in the neighborhood of 75% fixed in income or bonds and 25% stocks. If the time horizon is three to five years, you could you can make a case for going up to half stocks if it's really, really well diversified. I mean, I'm not talking about what the big fund companies do. You know, that's not diversified enough by any stretch for that time horizon. I'm talking about way, way more diversified than you'll typically find at the at the, you know big investment firms because they don't typically diversify and you say big and why would not why would a big company not diversify as well it's, it's a lot of times they're spending their time putting together portfolios based on marketing and not necessarily academic science uh so more about than some other segment but uh you know three to five years uh really well diversified equity half maybe and half maybe might be in fixed income or bonds and, and cash type investments and then you then you're looking at six to nine years in that particular case if all the money is going to be spent in that period of time 75 percent stocks well diversified 25 percent, and then 10 plus years uh, all equity, but there is another rule that comes into play, which is if I'm taking income from the investment portfolio, uh, there are there's a lot of research on how much of we should have in stocks versus bonds if I'm going to take an income. It might be 50% to 60%. But certainly, as Chad's saying, going 100% cash for longer time horizons or taking income for long time horizons uh, is usually not terribly... Uh, is, is not prudent, as we would say. You know, and there's a rule. There's something called the prudent investment rule, 
uh, written by the American Law Institute that literally lays out what I'm saying. So this isn't just Paul's opinion on things. This is written out in the law as to what constitutes the prudent management of a trust. And, uh, you know, so, and that's what we're talking about. What is prudent? How do I define it? The things that I've been teaching on this radio station for 22 years, you know, plus, that is literally what is spelled out in the law. And we don't see it managed that way. And you go, well, how do big investment firms get away with managing portfolios that don't align totally with the prudent investment rule? It is because the, the law is written to be lenient enough to give some people the ability to step outside just a little bit and a little bit too much for my particular taste. But that in combination with when investment firms are all making similar mistakes, like everybody who's driving 75 in a 60 mile per hour zone or a 75 in a 65, that's probably a better example, you know, they're chances of getting pulled over are pretty slim, but that doesn't matter. What is in the best interest of this person that you love, that's when we're going to follow that to AT, in my humble opinion. Okay, so we were just talking a little bit about time horizons in uh, portfolio design and describing what those were. So some of your other thoughts regarding this, Jack. Yeah, and just to piggyback off of that, um, you know, for a, if you have the money in a special needs trust and we were talking about the time horizons and all, you may have multiple time horizons for different things. That's Maybe a really you, good point. You might have multiple portfolios because they have different time. Exactly. Horizons. You yeah. may have set up a goal, you know, that in two years we're going to purchase this. And, you know, and that money needs to be separate from, you know, if you have a longer time horizon. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's OK to have multiple different accounts. And you know. I'll never forget. I actually had a situation where there was this this type of situation 20. Uh, this is about 25 years ago, I guess it was. And, and it was hired by the uh, the court system to put something together. <laughs> the judge goes, that was the most thorough financial plan I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you'll have those situations and you you want to make sure that you're you're very thorough, but you have different asset mixes for different time horizons. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I think it's very important to have that set up. And I just want to make that point clear. So. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, when we talk about this whole thing, you know, you guys say, well, you know, we hit these particular topics and having an attorney, I think this is really important, having an attorney that this is something that they deal with. Neither one of us are attorneys, neither Chad nor myself, but having somebody that deals with this because I've had some people have an attorney that doesn't really deal with it a lot. They don't know a whole lot about it, draw up documents. And then when it comes to executing the documents, they don't really know what to do. Yeah. So the, the thing is, you know, any attorney can draw up a will, but the same can't be said for trust because trust language mm -hmm. is so particular and mm -hmm. just one mistake in it can get it tossed. So, yeah. And you do not want to mess this one up. So yeah. just, just, you know, you may maybe getting referrals from financial planners uh, getting referrals from your, your accountant as to, you know, who does, does this type of work. I think it's really cool, uh, you know, when you have a financial planner that has this particular education and your designation, Chartered Financial... Oh, Chartered Special Needs <laughs> Consultant. I, I always mess up your degree. <laughs> Chartered <laughs> Special Needs Consultant. 
Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.